Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand this evening. So good to see everyone. We want to welcome our bishop back. God bless you, Brother Parker. It's so good to see you tonight. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> Let's pray for our service this evening. Let's pray. Let's continue to pray for one another. Amen. We're all in this together, right? Thank God for that. I don't know what I'd do without you guys. Amen. Praise God. I'm so thankful for the people of God. I'm so thankful for the Lord our God. Amen. Who is always our help, our ever-present help in time of need. Amen. Let's pray this evening. Let's ask God to bless this service, His service, that He would manifest His perfect will in our midst here this evening. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm thankful for an opportunity this evening to enter into Your presence, to hear from You, to feel Your touch, to hear Your voice, to spend time with You tonight. Help us, Lord Jesus, to receive all that You have for us this evening. Prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the Word of Truth. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would bind together as one, that a spirit of oneness would be in this place to receive of You all that You have for us. Draw us nigh unto You this evening, I pray. And I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that Your name, Your glorious name, would be glorified here this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. You're an awesome God and worthy of worship and praise this evening. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Amen. Before we get started, uh, just a quick uh, update maybe. I spoke with Ethan on the phone this evening, uh, shortly before church, and uh, he's very excited. He's, he's uh, at family day today. He's going to graduate tomorrow, basic training, and then he, he goes right into AIT for six weeks. He, uh, he said he's went from 117 pounds to 142 pounds. All muscle. <laughs> Amen. So he's, uh, he's pretty pumped. He's pretty excited. And uh, I told him we're proud of him and can't wait to see him again. Amen. He's looking forward to coming back, showing off his new self. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Uh, Psalm chapter 78. We're going to start with verse number 9. We're going to read probably a ways. Amen. Psalm chapter 78, starting with verse 9. The psalmist says this, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forget His works and His wonders that He had shown them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking, by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God. 
and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat, and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter Him with their mouth, and they lied unto Him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. Amen. We're going to continue talking about doctrine this evening. Uh, perhaps in a more general sense, we'll be talking about probably more than that, but uh, we'll certainly start there. When it comes to doctrine, we only have one good source, and that's Scripture. That's the only good source we have for doctrine, for determining what is right and what is wrong. Scripture. We cannot derive our doctrine based on what we believe to be right and what we believe to be wrong. What we hope is right and what we hope is wrong. We've talked about this. We've discussed this. We'll continue to do so. A lot of people do this. A lot of people really need something to be true. I just need this to be true. I need this to be right. I can imagine I've lost parents, I've lost extended family, I haven't lost close family yet. Should the Lord tarry and I tarry, it's inevitable. <clears throat> Even spouses. Uh, at some point, sweetie, sorry, one of us is going to go. Statistically, it's going to be me. I uh, hope that's okay. Uh, but as, as, as hard as that is to lose a spouse, I, I haven't lost my spouse, but I can imagine how hard it must be. Especially if it happens suddenly or unexpectedly. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have to bury a child. I told my children... That's not my job <laughs> to bury you. It's your job to bury me. That's how it works. That's how the thing is supposed to go. But people that lose a loved one, a lot of people can't accept that, at least right away. They, they're in denial. It's, that can't be right. They, they, were, they were alive this morning. I left for work and they were fine. This can't be true. I, I don't believe this. I need this to be something different. I need this to be a joke or, or a prank or, or anything than this. I need this to be different. I, this, I, can't, I can't accept this. This cannot be true. As an extreme case, uh, on a more general note, there are people that will believe something like this. I don't believe that church attendance is necessary. I think I can serve God at home. I can worship God at home just fine. I can hear from God uh, just like you can. And to some extent, 
Yeah, that's true. You can worship God at home. You can hear from God at home. Absolutely. I hope all of you are doing all of that. Worshiping at home and hearing from God at home. Nevertheless, Scripture tells us something different, doesn't it? That we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And whatever situation is causing you to need to believe this, it's still not true. It's still not scriptural. God doesn't judge me. He doesn't require me to change who I am. He accepts me just like this. He loves me just the way I am. Again, partially true. He does love you just the way you are. When we come to the Lord, He accepts us just like that. But, He loves us enough to not leave us there. I am so thankful that I'm not the same person I was when I first came to Jesus. I am so thankful that He didn't leave me there. He doesn't judge me today. But He will. He will be my judge. He did create me this way. But He didn't create me a sinner. That's on me. I know original sin. Just bear with me here. My point is it's not God. God didn't make me a sinner. In fact, He does the exact opposite, doesn't He? We can feel things very powerfully. And those feelings seem like they have to be real. But they're not always real. I don't care how much sense they make. I don't care how how strong those emotions might be in the moment. If they contradict Scripture, they're not true. A lot of erroneous preaching and teaching makes good sense. It must be true. It makes sense. It seems to be legitimate. But if it contradicts Scripture, it's not true. It's simply not true when it contradicts Scripture. Okay, so we kind of understand that already. We can't derive doctrine based on what I feel or what I think is true. We also cannot derive our doctrine anecdotally, experientially. Let me ask you a question. Is is receiving the Holy Ghost God's will for everyone or no? This will explain what I'm talking about here. I think all of us in this room would agree that it's God's perfect will for everybody to receive the Holy Ghost. And yet, not everyone receives the Holy Ghost. There are people all the time in our services, all across the country, They pray for the Holy Ghost, they seek God for the Holy Ghost, and they walk away without the Holy Ghost. So then, based on that, can we determine that maybe we're misinterpreting Scripture? Maybe we're not understanding something properly. Maybe it's really not God's will to give everyone the Holy Ghost. Because obviously He doesn't. Can I jump to that conclusion? Of course I can't. Yeah, jump off a cliff. Of course I can't. It's still God's will, even though it seems like some people aren't getting the Holy Ghost. It's still God's perfect will. I can't make a doctrine based on my life experiences. Does that make sense? Because my life experiences can be wrong too. They can be wrong. They can be dead wrong. Why don't people always get the Holy Ghost? Well, it's not God. And it's not Scripture. I sought for the Holy Ghost for almost two years. And I can tell you right away what my problem was. Rebellion. Disobedience. 
soon as I took care of the rebellion, I got it just like that. How about that? Amazing. Scriptural. So no, I'm not misinterpreting Scripture. I'm not wrong in my doctrine. It is God's will to, for everyone to receive the Holy Ghost, even though I don't always see it happen in every service. Even though it didn't happen to me for over two, about two years. Does God want to confirm His Word through us with signs following? Or no? Well, obviously not, because we don't see it happen a whole lot, do we? It must not be God's will for that to happen all the time. It must not be God's will, or maybe I'm misinterpreting Scripture. See where I'm going here? We can't, we can't do that. Scripture is our basis for truth. Not what I feel, not even what I experience. Does God promise to provide all our needs? Or no? Is He actually going to do that? Well then, my question is this. Why do we live like He won't? If God will provide all of our needs, and we all believe that, don't we? Just like the guy with the wheelbarrow believes that that guy can make it across Niagara Falls. As long as we don't have to get in the wheelbarrow. But when our bank account gets drained and our checks start bouncing and we're looking at empty cabinets, it's a little bit harder to state that for sure. It's a little bit difficult to state with certainty, God's still going to provide. God's still going to provide. Oh, yeah? Provide what? And when? Does my circumstance negate the promise of God? Do my empty cabinets and my empty bank account invalidate this promise? Of course it doesn't. But we act like it does. And that's my point. We cannot base our doctrine on what we experience. We can't. Because it's wrong. My experience is contradicting Scripture at this point. Everything around me is telling me this isn't going to happen. But God says it is. So which one am I going to stand on? I've got to stand on the Word of God. I've got to stand on Scripture. Because that's what's true. That's what's right. Why do we worry and stress and fret about money if we believe God is our provider? Because that's part of just being a good steward. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. I'm just being a good steward. I'm concerned. No, you're scared. You're scared that God's not going to come through. And if I have one finger pointing at you, I got four pointing back at me. Well, three and a thumb. Thumbs pointing straight down. I, no one. <clears throat> Why do we profess with our lips the promises of God, but in our hearts we deny the promises when it matters the most? We could talk of divine healing. We can talk of miracles. We can talk about provision. Anything really that doesn't depend on my own ability or my own intellect. Because when the situation is well in our control, we can praise God. We can thank God for His provision. We can thank God that He keeps me healthy and strong. We can thank God for the, the blessings we enjoy. 
And we ought to. We really ought to. When things are going great, we ought to be praising God. But when things escalate beyond our control, and we're just riding a roller coaster hoping for it to stop, that's when we really need to start trusting in God. But that's when we fail God most often. It's that moment right there when we have to depend on God because there's nothing else to do. There's nowhere else to turn. God's the only one that can get me out of this. He's the only one that can take care of the situation. That's when it gets difficult. That's when the, the covenant promises that we were praising God for yesterday, that's when they come into view. That's when we need to cast that check. Is it going to bounce? Is God's check going to bounce? Of course it's not. And sitting here in this nice, warm, comfy area, amongst friends and family, we can say that unequivocally. Just like Peter, when his belly was full and he was in the presence of his friends and in the presence of Jesus, all others will deny you, but I'll not deny you. It's easy. And he wasn't lying, and we're not lying. We mean that. But when he's out in the cold, all alone, surrounded by enemies, Jesus is nowhere around. It's a different scenario now. It's not a different scenario at all. It's the same scenario. God is still there. God's promises are still valid. Our situation is irrelevant. God is infinite in power, infinite in authority, infinite in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Our situation is utterly irrelevant when it comes to the promises of God. It matters to us. Absolutely it does. But it's irrelevant to God. It's just as easy for God to raise the dead as it is to take care of a pimple. It's just as easy. We get into difficulty because we're not. We're in a situation that is so far beyond our control. And we're overwhelmed and we're confused. And it's easy to get scared and in doubt in that situation. The promise is still valid. Just as valid as it was before the situation. So again, my point being this. We cannot determine doctrine. We cannot determine truth based on what I have experienced in my life. Alright, our scripture text this evening. The nation of Israel. These poor guys. I wonder how many times this has been preached. They're exit from Egypt, their faithlessness. Despite everything God had done for the nation of Israel, they continued to mistrust Him. Every time something arose, every time something happened, they could not trust in God. They just couldn't. At the first sign of trouble, where did they want to go? Back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. That's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable with. It wasn't the best there, but isn't it funny how you can come out of the absolute worst possible scenario and ten years after the fact you look back on it? I had some good times back then. It wasn't so bad. I remember this and I remember that. You know, both of those good times I had. But that's all I can remember. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, really. <clears throat> they refused to walk in God's commandments and insisted on having everything their way. How about that? They wanted everything
Part of spiritual maturity is, well, the opposite of that. Not wanting it my way, not needing it my way, but wanting it God's way. Or at the very least, deferring to someone else, wanting it somebody else's way, ministering to somebody else's need. That's, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And we're all striving for that. I trust. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I know you are. <clears throat> when we first come to the Lord, we're not like that at all. We want everything our way. We have these preconceived ideas of right and wrong. We come in with whatever baggage it is we come in with, and uh, God starts the process of getting that all unpacked and sorted out and healed and delivered and trained. That all starts happening. The nation of Israel, they were in that process. They had lived their whole lives as slaves in bondage to the Pharaoh of Egypt. They had just started this walk with God. And so they, that's how they were. They wanted it their way. I don't want manna. What is this manna? I want meat. You men know what I'm talking about. I want a slab of beef on that grill. About this thick, about this big, that'll do just fine. That'll be great. Loaded baked potato. I don't know what this man is. So God was <laughs> patient, I thought. As you read the account, He would answer their prayer, take care of them. They'd cry, complain, moan, kick, and scream. Tell Moses, go do this, and that'll take care of their need. They'd cry again at the next situation. Tell Moses, go do that. That'll take care of the need. But eventually, they just weren't getting it. It just wasn't sinking in. I am your provider. I will not fail you. I will take care of you. All of your needs are going to be met in me. Every one of them. You're in here, you're out here in the wilderness, the desert. You're not going to survive otherwise. Unless I take care of you. And he's done a really good job so far. He hasn't failed in one time. They did get some a little bit hungry. They did get a little bit thirsty. Don't you just love God's timing sometimes? It's perfect all the time. He's always on time. We just like to be early. Really early. Right now. Would be great. But God doesn't always come right now. Why is that? Why doesn't He always come just as soon as we're calling? Well, one, He doesn't have to. Two, If we needed Him to, He would be there right now. Obviously, we don't need Him right now. He's going to be there when we need Him. The answer is going to come when we need it to come. Again, God's answer is perfect. His timing is perfect. Our problem is sometimes we're faithless. Sometimes we just can't trust God. They only sought God when His anger was stirred and judgment ensued. When He slew them, then they sought Him. That hit me like a brick when I read that today. I've read it before. I don't remember reading it, though. <clears throat> I can... Just off the top of my head, think of several situations and instances in my life where I was in that exact same spot.
But even here, the nation of Israel, their hearts were far from God. They never had any desire to serve God. They never had any desire to give or to sacrifice or to commit. That was never in their hearts. If I can get from God, well. But as soon as He stops giving, I'm gone. They only sought God to get relief from judgment. And because of their unbelief and their rebellion, God could not bless them. So their lives, as the Scriptures say, were consumed in vanity and in trouble. As Christians, I think especially in the Western world, we pay lip service to Scripture and to God, but He's not always really our Lord. Not always. Not in every area of our lives. When things come to a head, we get in those situations where God isn't jumping. He's not answering right away. We're quick to take the throne back, just temporarily. Until I can fix the situation myself. And then I'll give it back. Because I can't trust God. He didn't come when I needed Him. He didn't come early enough. He didn't do what I thought He was going to do. Are we, are we willing to do what God says to do no matter the cost? Are we willing to give Him all our money? If He asks all of it, if He wants us to drain the bank account, sell the house, sell the car, are we willing to do that? I'm not asking you to. I'm not saying that He is saying that. I'm saying if. If He asks one of us to do that, would I be willing to do that? Am I willing to give Him all my time? All of it? Can He get me up at 2 in the morning when I have to go to work at 6? Can He, can he ask me to stay up late, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, to pray or, or to minister to someone when i got a full day tomorrow? i got to get to work. If I only get that much sleep, I'm going to be useless. See right there. We don't trust God, do we? Does God know that you need that sleep? Maybe you do, maybe you think you do. But let's say that you do need that sleep. God knows that you need that sleep. God knows you got to work tomorrow. He knows what commitments you have. And He's going to take care of it. If you take care of His business, He's going to take care of your business. Every single time. But we don't trust God all the time. Are we willing to subjugate our legitimate needs to obey the commandment of God? Are we willing to miss a few meals if He asks us? And folks, these are not hypothetical questions. These are questions that God demands an answer for. When we tell Him yes, we're supposed to be telling Him yes to all of these things. Unfortunately, we're not always made aware of that fact. But that's the truth. When we say yes to God, In the army, I think I've mentioned this before. All of you that were in the armed services know this already. You sign on the dotted line, your rights are gone. You don't get rights. All you get now are responsibilities. You have no rights. You're now property of the U.S. government. When we sign on the dotted line saying we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, I know we're in a democracy. I know our, our Western way of thinking is, is programmed into us from birth. But let me try to dislodge that a little bit this evening. We don't have rights in a kingdom. We don't have rights. Not in a kingdom. 
if Jesus is our King, if He's our Lord, do we understand what the word sovereign means? Sovereign means that executive, legislative, and judicial branches are all rolled into one person. That's what that means. We have it all split up, and I think it's a good system. Best we can come up with, I think. But Jesus Christ is not a constitutionally federated republic. He is a, he's a, a what you might call a despot or a monarch. He has absolute authority in his kingdom. We don't. We are his subjects. When we say yes to Jesus, when we move from the enemy's camp to the kingdom of God, we are now subject to the laws of this kingdom. That means when he tells us something, we do it. We get, we get this idea that we can ask questions and we can get clarification and we can maybe offer a, an alternative. That's how the Western mind seems to think. But that's not accurate. That's not scriptural. Our doctrine is that He's in charge and we do what we're told. That's how it works. We didn't vote God in. We're not going to vote Him out. We're not going to veto what He says. Okay? That's not how this works. So, trying to make this clear. When we say yes to Jesus, we're giving Him absolute authority over everything in our lives. Over our bodies, our minds, our finances, our talents, and our time. Everything. We're giving it to Him. All of it. What's left for us? None of it. None of it's left for us. It's all His. Now, He's gracious and He's kind and He lets us use some of that. In fact, He lets us use a lot of that. But don't let that cloud your thinking into thinking that this is mine now. He gave it back to me. No, we're stewards of it. And when he wants, he can take it back. He can make withdrawals anytime he wants. He can make deposits anytime he wants. We're all looking for the deposit. We want the deposits. But he, he gets to take withdrawals too. It's his. It's all his. We've heard missionary story after missionary story about God's protection, God's provision, God's healing and delivering power. God casts out the devils. God raises the dead. God provides and blesses and restores. All of these miracles. What do we see here? What do we see in the United States? I can't tell you how many times I have either asked this question or heard it posed to someone or heard it mentioned by someone, the seeming disparity between our missionaries, especially those in third world countries, and those of us in the, in the Western world, the supposed first world countries. There seems to be a huge disparity in the moving of God. The demonstration of the Holy Ghost and of power. People being raised from the dead. Thousands being filled with the Holy Ghost. Arms growing back. Goiters falling off of people's necks. Another day at the office. Bring on the next one. Let's see what Jesus will do now. 
And it seems like we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and I'll just leave it at that. What do we see in the United States? Is it the same God? Is His plan the same? Maybe His plan is different for us. Maybe He's got something different going on in Africa. In the United States, here's what I see a lot of. And I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'll clarify. We thank God for doctors and for medical technology. And aren't we thankful for that? Medical technology? I mean, would you rather live in the 1500s? Most people would say no. People putting leeches on you and hacking limbs off, bleeding you. We thank God for doctors, for medical technology. We thank God for the financial blessings we enjoy here. Talking about the 1500s, if you're living in the Motel 6 right now, you're doing better than any king in Europe did in the 1500s. What is available to you today, they would consider magic. Flip a switch and a light turns on. Turn that and water starts pouring out. Where does that come from? It's just, it's just there. It's just there. We thank God for the quality of life we enjoy here. And we are thankful for all of this. And we should be thankful for all of this. In third world countries, they don't have any of that. Or they're missing a good portion of that. If they have internet, it's very sporadic. If they have electricity, it's on for a couple hours and then not. It's not very dependable. Their governments are not very dependable or stable. They could have a coup at any moment. An armed rebellion could come right through your town or or village. Most people in the world don't get to enjoy the blessings that we enjoy. However, what they do get to enjoy is, in my humble opinion, many times greater value, at least as a Christian. They get to see God working regularly. They get to enjoy... (laughs) I still can't get that image out of my mind. Someone spending two weeks' wages to buy a Bible that they can't even read. But they're so thankful and they're so happy to have the Word of God. Can't read it. But this is the Word of God. They're willing to spend two weeks' wages. They don't make a lot of money. They need that for food. They don't have cabinets stocked. They walk 10, 20, 30, 100 miles to get to a church service. And they're thankful to be there. They don't have, they live in huts, they live in shacks, they eat gruel. But they're so happy, they're so filled with joy, and they're so thankful for the blessings of God. That continues to convict me. Because when I'm without one of those blessings, I get to feeling sorry for myself. If the electricity got turned off at our house, I'd feel pretty bad about that. If there's not food on the table every meal, I would feel bad about that. But there are people that live like that, and they're thankful. But they get to be thankful for seeing people raised from the dead. They're thankful not for doctors and medical technology, but for the healing power of Jesus Christ. 
They don't have the financial blessings we enjoy here, but they're thankful for the supernatural provision of God. They're thankful for God's blessings upon His people. In this age of COVID, I feel like it's okay to talk about this now. Passed over a little bit. Having went through it with you, having heard and seen how others have reacted, let me give you a few observations that I've observed. I've seen many Christians trust in doctors more than they trust in God. I've seen Christians succumbing to fear and paranoia rather than stand on the covenant promises found in Scripture. I found that the majority of us, when it comes right down to it, will not believe the report of the Lord and will instead listen to the enemy and to those who hate God. Mark 7 and 6 says this, He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God forbid, church. God forbid that we would ever find ourselves in this situation. We need to trust in God. We need to stand on His promises. It doesn't matter what the situation is. I, and probably a lot of you sitting here tonight, those watching online, can pretty easily imagine a scenario or multiple scenarios where all of this goes away. All of this, our society the privileges that we enjoy, the freedoms we enjoy in this country, it all goes away. I can imagine a scenario where there will be armed guards posted outside the door. Where the government will want to have rosters of the churches. They will be pinging our cell phones to see if anyone's gathering together. It already happens in many countries around the world. Are we going to trust God in that situation? There's a scripture. I'm probably slaughtering it. It goes something to the effect of, if you can't serve God in the green season, how are you going to serve Him in the dry? Right now it's really easy to serve Jesus. It's easy to make the choice to serve God. It may not be so easy in the near future to live for God. In some ways, it will be a lot easier, I guess. But not in others. I found this statement from a man by the name of J.I. Packer. He wrote a a work called Fundamentalism. (laughs) He wrote a work called Fundamentalism and the Word of God in 1958. This was published. And he says this, We have to choose whether we will accept the biblical doctrine of Scripture as it stands or permit ourselves to refashion it according to our fancy. This is a Baptist, by the way. We have to choose whether to embrace the delusion that human creatures are competent to judge and find fault with the words of their Creator, or whether to recognize this idea for the blasphemy that it is and drop it. We have to decide whether to carry through our repentance on the intellectual level, or whether we shall still cherish our sinful craving for a thought life free from the rule of God. We have to decide whether to say that we believe the Bible and mean it, 
or to say it and look for ways whereby we can say it without having to accept all the consequences. If the human mind is set up as the measure and test of truth, it will quickly substitute for man's incomprehensible creator a comprehensible idol fashioned in man's own image. Man wants a God he can manage and feel comfortable with and will inevitably invent one if allowed. He will forget, because he cannot understand, the infinite gulf that separates the Creator from his creatures and will picture to himself a God wholly involved in this world and wholly comprehensible in principle at any rate by the speculative intellect. It was no accident but a natural development that made the liberal theology of the 19th century so strongly pantheistic. Many gods. Once people reverse the proper relationship between Scripture and their own thinking and start judging biblical statements about God by their private ideas about God instead of vice versa, their knowledge of the Creator is in eminent danger of perishing and with it, the whole idea of supernatural religion. Unquote. So the question that is often posed is this. Why do these, they see so many miracles and we don't? I offer as a suggestion, could it be because we in the United States do not trust God the way that they do. Could it be that we're wandering around like the Israelites wanting an answer right here, right now, our way? And when that doesn't happen, we cast him aside and work on it ourselves because it's got to get done. If we will not recognize God as being absolutely sovereign in His creation and in our lives, if we will not recognize the absolute authority of Scripture in our lives, then we become the authority. We become the kingdom and the power and the glory. If this be the case, is it any wonder we don't see the supernatural? But God is merciful and He is gracious. Our Scripture verse continues in Psalm 78 and verse 38. But He, being full of compassion forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Thank God for that. If after hearing this, you come to the conclusion that God has really not been your Lord, not truly, not completely, not in every area, and you want that to change, that can change right here, right now, tonight. Relinquish the throne of your heart to God. Surrender to Jesus Christ and His Lordship in every, every, every area of your life. God is faithful and just to forgive us, to restore us, to bless us when we enter into a right relationship with Him. God will take everything you have if you'll give it to Him. And in return, He'll give you everything He has. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal to me. Amen. Let's all stand.